Hey, welcome uh, to Big Valley, those of you that are visiting especially. I'm glad you're, um, you're with us. And uh, welcome to all of you over in the, the venue. Thank you, uh, Pastor Brandon, for leading worship and singing and all that kind of stuff over there. And all of you that serve over there, man, I'm just thankful that you guys get here and man your posts every weekend. All of you that are watching online, we're, we're, we're glad that um, you're with us also. So this past week, I, I spent a lot of time looking at what some famous people had said about the Bible, their thoughts about the Bible. And some of those people were folks who, you know, they, they, don't, they don't think this is God's word. And so they, they had some, some thoughts about what they believed about the Bible, or they also had some thoughts about what a guy like me uh, what kind of guy I must be to believe in, in a book like this. But I did find some really, really great quotes from some people. John Quincy Adams said this about the Bible. He said, so great is my veneration for the Bible that the earlier my children begin to read it, the more confident will be my hope that they will prove useful citizens to their country and respectable members of society. And I thought about that and I, I, I couldn't agree more that there is something important about our children learning this book, having a high view of scripture. And not just having a high view of scripture, but that I would do all that I can to encourage my children to actually live out what's in this book. It certainly does make, in my opinion, for a better society, a better, a better world. Cecil uh, B. DeMille said this, after more than 60 years of almost daily reading of the Bible, I never failed to find it always new and marvelously in tune with the changing needs of every day. And that is also just a, a great statement. There, there never comes a moment when you go, okay, I, I got it all. I've arrived. This is an a, 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 an unbelievable book that is in tune with how our culture changes. My favorite quote was by J.C. Ryle. He said this, no one ever said at the end of his days, I've read my Bible too much. I've thought of God too much. I've prayed too much. I've been too careful with my soul. And that one I, I spent a lot of time just thinking about. In my vocation, my 30 years here at Big Valley Grace, I've, I've been at the bedside of a lot of people who literally were taking their last breaths. They were dying. And never once did anybody look up, you know, and grab me by the arm and say, hey, Pastor Rick, I really fumbled, man. I just spent too much time reading my Bible. <laughs> never. Never had one person ever say, Pastor Rick, man, I just blew a lot of time, you know, praying. Pastor Rick, I, I just, I spent way too much time thinking about God. I spent too, way, you know, way too much time worrying about my, my soul. Never happens. Charles Spurgeon said, nobody ever outgrows scripture. The book widens and deepens with our years. Boy, that's true. He also said this, the Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. And I thought that was really good. 
In other words, you show me somebody whose Bible's falling apart, you know, there's all kinds of things written in it and all kinds of notes in it and little doodads in it and somebody who spends time reading and studying and memorizing and meditating on the Word of God. And I'll probably show you somebody who, though they have the same problems that we all experience, they just handle them differently. Theodore Roosevelt said, a thorough understanding of the Bible is better than a college education. And there's no doubt that that is true, in my opinion. I've known a lot of people that have D's and R's in front of their names or behind their names. They have a P and an H and a D. And uh, just dumb as stumps, in my, in my opinion. Now, I know a lot of doctors and PhDs that are unbelievably wise. But just because you got a college education doesn't mean a whole lot. My dad never graduated from high school, was one of the wisest men that I, I, I know. I know a lot of people who have come through this church or are part of this church, and you maybe never graduated from high school, but you know the Word of God. You have a high view of Scripture. You're living Scripture out, and wow. You're, you're, you're just wise. You're smart about a, 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 a lot of things. Now, the reason these people had, a, had such a high view of Scripture is because of what Paul said in 2 Timothy. He said, all Scripture is inspired by God. And it's important that you understand that first sentence there. All Scripture is inspired by God. Because if you don't understand that, then the rest of it doesn't make any sense. When it says that Scripture is inspired by God, what that means is that it's God-breathed. In fact, some of your Bibles will actually say that. And what that means is that the Holy Spirit somehow supernaturally came upon the writers of Scripture. It was the Holy Spirit that prompted these writers of Scripture to pin the very words that God wanted pinned. Now, they did it in their own personalities and all those kinds of things. But the scriptures, that book that you're holding, the book that we're looking at, was God-breathed. God was the one who supernaturally came upon these writers so that we would have his very words. And because of that, it is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong, and it teaches us to do what is right. God uses it. God uses his word because it is his word to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Peter said it like this in 2 Peter chapter 1. He said, above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. In other words, it wasn't because some guy decided to write something down. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. So basically, Peter's saying the exact same, same thing Paul was saying, that the Holy Spirit was the one who came upon these writers and he moved in their lives so that the very words that God wanted us to know, we would have. I think uh, the great prophet Jeremiah cuts to the chase as it relates to the origins of Scripture. He said in chapter 1, the Lord gave me this message. The Lord gave it to me. 
And so the great prophet then just pinned the very message that God gave him. That, that, that kind of captures the idea there, that it was God who gave these writers the message. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, it says this, Therefore, we never stop thanking God that uh, when you received his message from us, you did not think of our words as mere human ideas. You accepted what we said as the very word of God, which of course it is. And this word continues to work in you who believe. And so once again, we have the great apostle Paul just reaffirming this truth that this book is like no other book. The scriptures are like no other uh, pieces of literature. These are the very inspired word of, of, of the Lord. He moved in the lives of people and they pinned the very words that he wanted to be written. All this to say that the Bible is God's word to, to you. So it's no wonder that so many people have such a high view of, of scripture. Now, last week we, we started with the Bible quiz and I thought it was a whole lot of fun and I know a bunch of you did also. So we're gonna, we're gonna do it again, okay? Now, now here's the deal. Uh, because I got a lot of emails on how I ought to run my game show right now. Okay? Nope, you don't tell Bob Barker how to run the, 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 the game show. It's my game show and I'll run it my own way, okay? Now here's the deal. Uh, I just want you to think about the answer. Don't, don't yell them out or anything like that because some of you have walked with the Lord a long, long time. Some of you are brand new in the Lord. Some of you are just kind of investigating the, the, the scriptures. And, and, and so I want everybody to have a chance to kind of think it through here. So the first couple are just review questions. And the first one is this, and it's, it's basic stuff. And that is how many books are, are in the Old Testament? How many books are in the Old Testament? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all the way through. It ends at the book of Malachi. There's 39 books in the Old Testament. The theme of the Old Testament is Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming, the Messiah is coming, the Savior's coming. In Genesis chapter one, the very first uh, chapter of the Bible, we're told that God makes us in his image. You get to Genesis chapter three, and mankind blows God off. We sin against God, it brings sin into the world, it changes everything, and from Genesis three on, basically, there's this idea that God is going to send a savior. God is going to send the Messiah. Jesus was going to come. Now they didn't know his name was Jesus. They didn't know who he was gonna be. They just knew that God promised a savior. And how, you were, how your sins were dealt with in the Old Testament, obviously they didn't know who the Messiah was, so you just believed God. You just believed that God was going to send a Messiah. And if you believed God, if you put your trust in God, if you had faith in what God said, then that was counted to you as righteousness. So you have these 39 books in the Old Testament, and the theme is Jesus is coming. The second question is, is how many books are in the New Testament? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, get all the way to the book of Revelation, and the answer is 27 books are in the New Testament. And the New Testament, basically, the, the theme would be, Jesus has come. 
The Old Testament, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming. The New Testament, Jesus has come, the Messiah has come, the Savior has come, and how we are saved today, how our sins are dealt with today, is we actually put our trust in the one who, G, who God sent, and that was his son, Jesus. They didn't know who he was, they just believed that God was going to send one. We know who the Savior was, and how our sins are dealt with is we just put our faith, our trust, in Jesus, the one who came. Now, if the Old Testament theme was Jesus is coming and the New Testament theme is Jesus has come, then the whole theme of the Bible, in my opinion, is Jesus is. It's all about Jesus. It is all about Jesus. Now, some of you, uh, and I wanna, I wanna answer some questions that I get along the way. So if you're paying attention, here's the third question. You all ought to get this one. What's the, the last book in the Old Testament? It's Malachi. Malachi is the last book. So of the 39 books, the last one's Malachi. After uh, the book of Malachi, God goes silent. We hear nothing from God. God doesn't speak through any prophets for over 400 years, about 450 years, somewhere in that zone, nothing, zero. And finally, God breaks his silence. After 400 plus years, he sends an angel to an older gal by the name of Elizabeth and tells Elizabeth, Elizabeth, you and your husband are gonna have a child, and that child was John the Baptist. A few months later, that same angel goes to a young virgin by the name of Mary, and says, Mary, you're gonna have a baby, but you're not gonna have that baby the old-fashioned way. Your baby's gonna be unique. Your baby's gonna be the child of God, and the Holy Spirit's gonna come upon you, and you're going to be the one who gives birth to the long-awaited Messiah who was going to come. What's the last book in the New Testament? Book of Revelation, okay? Question number five, uh, what is the fifth commandment? Don't say it out loud, with a fifth of the great 10 commandments, what is it? <sighs> Come on moms and dads, this is your favorite one right here, right? <laughs> number five is honor your fathers and your mother. Okay, and when you think about the, the great 10 commandments, whether you believe in God or not, everybody's heard of the 10 commandments, right? When Charlton Heston came down from the mountain, we, the Bible called him Moses, I don't know how they messed that up, and he brought those 10 commandments. The first four of the 10 commandments all deal with our relationship with God. Number one, God says don't have any other relationships, you know, don't, don't worship any other God but me. Number two, don't make for yourself an idol and worship that. Number three, don't misuse the name of the Lord. And number four, make sure you set aside a day and keep it holy. Remember the Sabbath. Let there be one day where it's just kind of a special thing. The first four of the great commandments all deal with our relationship with God. When you get to number five on, the next six, they all have to deal with our relationships with one another. And by the way, when you think about the greatest commandment, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. 
That's the first four commandments. And then love others the way you love yourself. That's basically the next six commandments, okay? Uh, which book of the Bible immediately precedes Ephesians? Galatians, Galatians, okay? Uh, number seven, according to the Gospel of Matthew, how many wise men or magi visited Jesus when he was born? This one's to see just how well you were listening during the month of December, during some of my messages. The number of wise men isn't specified in Matthew or anywhere else in scripture. Now Hallmark has done an unbelievable job in convincing us all that there were three of them, okay? But the Bible doesn't say how many there were, okay? Uh, there were probably way more than, than three. Uh, question number eight, whom did Jesus say my kingdom is not of this world. Huh, huh, huh. Someone said it right down here. It was Pilate. It was Pilate. You can read about that in Matthew chapter 18. Uh, question number nine, and here's where we get to the best part of the whole thing, right? This is where you can win a prize, okay? There's not another church on the planet that gives out prizes, but I do, okay? So the first one, you get, a, you get a coffee from our cafe out here, and you get a really, really, really cool bookmark. It's got all the Old Testament books in order. It's got the New Testament books in order. It's really great. You can kind of set this next to your Bible when you're studying, and it'll help you figure out, okay, where's that book at? Where's this book at? Or, or whatever. Okay? So here's the question. And here's what we're going to do, because I, I don't want you mad at me. Last week, I had a lot of people mad at me. Because, I, because of the lights, it's hard for me to see anything out that direction. It's, it's, it's super hard, okay? So I, I can see like right here, that's why everybody who won was right down in this area here. <laughs> so what I'm gonna do is, I'm gonna look up into, the, into that balcony, okay? And you're the ones, the first one who has the answer. You raise your hand, let me know the answer, and you, you, you win the first prize. And it's only you guys, that's it. It's only you, okay? You happy? You happy now, balcony? <laughs> I, do, I just wanna make sure, you, I, hey. I'm here to serve. I'm, I'm a, I, I just want to make sure that, you, that you're happy. Okay, where is it? Where's my question? Oh, here it is. Here it is. Qu question number nine. Who were the only brothers of Cain named in the Bible? Oh, I saw that hand right there. Right here. Right. Right here with the glasses. I think you got glasses. Stand up. Ooh. Ooh. Not, ah, right here. I think that's Paige. Is that Paige? Who is that? What, what? Yes, Abel and Seth, absolutely correct. I got my runner right here. He needs to burn some calories, doesn't he? Look, look at him, look at him. That goes up there. Okay. All right, the next prize. See, they're growing in this like door number one, door number two, they're getting bigger as we go here. This is a pocket guide to the Bible. How do we know that the Bible can be trusted? It's a great book, plus a coffee. You can go right out there, get a coffee, sit down and read this book, okay? And this time, we'll go over here, this balcony, okay? I'll get the emails from all these folks this week, but at least, at least I've thought about you. I've, I've actually you know, put my brain on you guys, okay? So here's the question. Okay, in Joseph's dream, 11 of what bowed down to him? 11 of what? 11 of what? I see a hand. No, that's not it. Everybody's guessing that right there. No, it's not that. Right there. Stars. Stars is it. 
Now, for those of you that think it's wheat, you need to look up Genesis uh, 37, 9, but that's what everybody said. You all right? All right. I'm go up there now. Go, go, go. Yeah, yeah, there we go. There we go. All right. That's how we keep uh, the staff in shape. Keep those worship guys uh, in shape. Okay, this last one, last prize right here. This is the big one. Leather. It's leather. Or it's actually pleather. Yeah. Couldn't afford the leather one, so I went with the pleather. And it's uh, Hope for Each Day, Billy Graham. It's a daily devotional, okay? Um, and this one is going to be for those of you in the mezzanine. The mezzanine. Okay. See, people are getting excited about this. Now, here's the deal. I can hardly see up there. Uh, so here's the question. Who was buried at Mount Nebo? Oh, right there. Yeah, right there. Yes. Moses! Moses! Right back there. Right back there. Right there. I guarantee, let me tell you, he's going to be asking for a raise. Guarantee. My first thing Tuesday when we get in, he's going to be asking for a raise. You're not getting one. Go, go. So we, don't, we don't need to have that question. Ah. Uh, Here's a question, no prize though. It's a two-parter, and I don't want you to yell it out loud, just want you to think about this, okay? Does God forgive sin? Yes or no? Does God forgive sin? Well, the answer is yes, God forgives sin. But here's the second part of the question. How do you know that he forgives sin? When you look up at the moon, does it tell you that God forgives sin? When you look at the glories of the heavens, does it tell you that God forgives sin? When you look at the beauty of a Gerber daisy, does it tell you that God forgives sin? How do you, how do you know God forgives sin? The Bible tells you that. That's right. This is how we know that God forgives sin. How about this question? How many days last week, and this is just between you and the Lord, okay? How many days last week did you read your Bible? One, two, five? Met a guy uh, last night, a young guy, I don't know, probably in his early 20s, and he said, you know what, Pastor Rick, I left last week, I was so encouraged. I set my alarm early each day. And I got up and I spent the first 15, morning, 15 minutes of my morning, made some coffee, and I just read, started in Matthew, and just read for 15 minutes every morning. I've never, never done that. And he said it was just fantastic. How much time did you spend in the Word of God this last week? Other than the weekend gatherings, do you attend a Bible study? It could be men's Bible studies on on Tuesday night or Monday nights, Tuesday mornings. It could be women's Bible studies. It, it could be some other Bible study. Is there another time when you get together with a group of people and just kind of rustle around with the Word of God, study the Word of God, read the Word of God, whatever it might be? How about this question? What was the last verse in the Bible that you memorized? Think about it. The last verse. For some of you, I, I know you, you, you've never You've never done it. And it's a hard thing to do for, for most of us. Our, our flesh doesn't like to memorize scripture. 
It's weird how somebody can tell you a crummy, dirty joke and you have that thing memorized for like the next 30 years. <laughs> Scripture, it's like, God, no, no, no it's Jesus. It's J Jesus cried. Jesus wept. Woo, got it. Woo! <laughs> Even two words, man, you, you wrestle around with. One of the things that, that I do is I have a group of guys that on uh, Tuesdays afternoons we get together and we're going through a book called The Measure of a Man. It was written by uh, Gene Getz. Uh, he's with the Lord now and it kind of takes these 20 attributes that Timothy uh, or Paul lays out in 1 Timothy and Titus and we're going through them and, and um, we each have this, a book that looks like this. It says memory verse. Uh, I actually meet with another young fella uh, and we have, he's got one of these, and what we do, they've got three by five cards in them, and in here's where we just put our memory verse each week. So I can carry, we can carry this with us wherever we go. You can put it in your desk, you know, and just set it there. You can look at it, you can leave it in your car. It just helps attract the word of God that you're memorizing. And then what we do is uh, we hand out a sheet of paper, the three of us write down our memory verse, and then we rotate it around, and then we get to be like our teachers and we grade them. <laughs> and we're just brutal on each other. Anyway, um, this might be a tool that you might use. Just pick this up in any, basically almost any store. And then you carry around those verses that you want to memorize the Word of God, you see. Um, and here's the last question, at least for today. Do, do you have your Bibles right now? Do you have them? If you do, raise them up. Got the sword? Raise it up. Let me see them. Come on. Come on. Raise them up. Raise them up. A lot of Bibles. That's good. Now, here's the deal. One of the things that I've always done is I always put the scriptures up on the jumbotrons because uh, I know that there are always people here who are new. Uh, maybe you've never seen the Word of God. You don't have a Bible. And I think it's an honorable thing to do. I want you to see it. I want you to see the word of God for yourself, but that's not an excuse for those of us that name the name of Christ to not bring our own Bibles with us. Because it could be that you know, something's gonna hit you and you wanna write it down or underline a verse or something like, like that, and so you always need to bring uh, your, your Bible with you. And if you don't own a Bible, all you have to do is go into the altar room and we will make sure that, that you, get, you, you have your own. Uh, last week, I shared with you uh, this, this thought here. Romans chapter 8 says, For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them, he chose us to become like his son. If you've given your life over to Jesus Christ, if you've truly accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, it's God's will for your life that you be transformed in the image of his son, in other words, there, there's a goal in this thing called the Christian life. He chose you in his sovereignty, but he just didn't choose you just to leave you the way you are. Yes, God loves you just the way you are, but he loves you so much he doesn't want to leave you in the condition that you're in. He wants to transform your life into the very image of his son, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter five, be imitators of God, therefore, as beloved children, as dearly loved children. Basically, Paul's saying the same thing there, that God wants us to be imitators of God. 
He wants us to be more transformed into the image of his son. The Bible says in 1 John chapter uh, 2, those who say they live in God, those who say that they're followers of Christ, those who say that they're Christians should live their lives as Jesus did. That's the same way of saying, hey, listen, we're to be transformed into the image of Christ. We're to be imitators of God, okay? And I shared with you last week, it's absolutely impossible to imitate someone you don't know, right? It's impossible to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus if you don't know anything about Jesus. It's impossible to live like Jesus did if you don't know anything about how he lived. So it's important that you get to know him because it's the only way that you're ever gonna imitate him. It's the only way you're ever gonna be like him. And here's the kicker. The only way you'll ever really get to know Jesus is through the reading of the word the studying of the word, the meditating on the word, the memorizing of the word. In other words, you have to have a high view of scripture. It has to be so high that it motivates you to get into this and live it out, you see? Otherwise, you're never gonna be like Jesus. You're never gonna be transformed into the image of Jesus. I, I think we all need to have the same attitude towards the Bible that Job had. Listen to what he said in, in chapter 23. He said, I go east, but he's not there. God's not there. I go west, but I, I can't find him. I don't see him in the north where he's hidden. I, I look to the south, but he's concealed. In other words, what's happening here it has happened to every one of us. There are moments in our walk with the Lord when it just seems like we can't connect with God. We, we don't hear him. We can't find him. He just, he seems absent. He seems like he's not involved in our lives, right? And here we have Job saying, man, I, I looked to the north. I couldn't find God. I looked to the south. He wasn't there. I looked to the east, you know, gone to the west. I couldn't find him. Where, where is he? And all of us at some time or another have had those feelings. We just go, man, is he even around? Does he even care about what's happening in my life? Does he care about what's happening in my family? Does he care about what's happening in my business? Does he care about what's happening you know, in my, my health? The health crisis I got going on or whatever it might be. But then it says, but, but he knows where I am. In other words, Job's coming around. Yeah, I feel like he's not there, and I feel like he's not there, and I feel like he's not here or there, but here's the deal. He knows where I'm going. God knows. And when he tests me, I will come out as pure gold, for I have stayed on God's paths. I have followed his ways and not turned aside. Now listen to me, Christian. Here is Job saying, listen, I, I, I couldn't feel him. I had no sense of his presence in my life, but here's the deal. I stayed on his path, whether I felt him or not. Whether I sensed his presence or not, I stayed on his path. I followed his ways. And then you get to verse 12, and verse 12 is just a great verse. Job says, I have not departed from his commands, but I've treasured his words more than daily food. Wow, isn't that great? Hey, I may not be able to sense you. I may not be able to feel you. I may think that you're just totally absent from my life, but here's the deal. It's not going to change what I think about you and your word. I'm gonna treasure it. 
more than I, I treasure daily food. When I first gave my life to the Lord, I worked for my father. He had a store over on, uh, my, and my mother, they worked over, uh, at a store on Yosemite Avenue. And when my lunch hour would come around, I would drive from Yosemite to McHenry Avenue to the greatest sandwich shop on the planet, Eddie's Meat Market. Anybody remember Eddie's Meat Market? I wept like a baby when that place burnt down. I'm serious, best meat sandwiches on the planet. But when you went there, because you were getting like real meat and stuff, it took about 15, 20 minutes for you to get your sandwich. Then I'd get my sandwich, and then I'd go over to Graceda Park, and I would sit at Graceda Park with my sandwich, and I would simply read through the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And that's all I did. I would just sit there and read the scriptures, read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I must have done that for, I don't even know how many months. But there were many times I could hardly wait for my lunch hour to come around, not because I wanted the sandwich, but because I just wanted to get into the Word, and so I would forego lunch. Forget about blowing 20 minutes getting my food, I just wanted to get to the park so I could read the Word. And then I'd catch up, I guess, at dinner. And I, as I read that this week, I thought, man, there was a season in my life where th th that was me. The word of God, I treasured more than I treasured a sandwich from Eddie's meat market. I just wanted to get into the word. And is it any wonder that Job is such a great man in scripture? Because he had that heart, that, that attitude. The only way we're ever gonna be close to being an imitator of Jesus is by treasuring the word of God more than our own daily food. The great prophet Jeremiah said it this way. He said, when I discovered your words, I devoured them. When was the last time you devoured the word? They are my joy and my heart's delight. Why? Because I bear your name. And here's the deal, Christian, we bear his name too, don't we? We call ourselves Christians. We call ourselves followers of Christ. And one of the attributes, I think, of a true follower of Christ is somehow the reading and the studying and the memorizing and the, uh, the meditating on the word, treasuring the word above food, devouring the word, it's just got to be a part of our lives. King David said it like this. He said, I wear myself out with desire for your laws all the time. You ever gotten to the point where you're just, you've been reading the word and studying the word. You have such a high view of the word that you just kind of wore yourself out. Well, I'm just worn out. I just got to go to bed. I got to get a nap, man. I just, I just have spent so much time in the word but I just, I'm, just, I'm just tired. All, you know, here, here's the deal. Let, let, me, let me give you a, a real life uh, example of the power of, of knowing the word. And, and here's the thing. When you give your life over to Jesus Christ, you don't immediately become like Jesus. You don't immediately begin to imitate Jesus. God, God could have made it that way. And think about it, he, he could have just said, boom, as soon as you receive Christ, man, you just, you're just like Jesus. He didn't do it that way. It's a process. 
You, you, you start at point A and you make your way to point B and then you head to point C and you head to point D and, and then you take a back, you know, step back to C and uh, maybe B and then you move forward to C and then D and then it's this process that you go through and the process, this is one of the great keys in the process is you have a responsibility in this in this process. You gotta get into the word. And, and, and I wanna give you a, a real life example of knowing the, 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 the power of knowing the word of God or filling your mind with the word of God and how it will help you say no to sin, which obviously makes you a, a greater imitator of Jesus, okay? In Matthew chapter three, uh, Jesus is uh, baptized. And right after he's baptized, the spirit of God leads him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And it says this in Matthew chapter four. Then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights he fasted and he became very hungry. During that time the devil came and said to him, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. And many of you will remember at Jesus' baptism, he goes under the water, and when he came up out of the water, there was an audible voice from the Father. The voice said, that is my son, and whom I am well pleased. It was an audible voice. Everybody there that day on the banks of the Jordan River heard the audible voice of God. That is my son. And you know who else heard that? The devil heard that because here he is saying, oh, really? Are you really the son of God? You haven't eaten for 40 days. Why don't you take these rocks right here, turn them into bread. That'd take care of your hunger, won't it, Jesus? The devil is, is tempting Jesus to sin. Now some of you are thinking, well what's the sin in that? Can't God, if he wants to, take some rocks and turn them into bread if he wants to? I mean, he turns some water into wine. What's the problem here? What's the sin? What's the temptation? Can't Jesus, if he wants to, take some rocks and turn them into bread? Yeah, he can. Well, what's the sin then, pastor? What's the temptation? Well, the Bible tells us that Jesus only spoke the words that God wanted him to speak, and he only did the things that God wanted him to do. God didn't want him to turn some rocks into bread. So if he would have done it, it would have been, a, it would have been in disobedience. God wanted him to turn some water into wine, but the father didn't tell him to turn those rocks into bread, and so guess what? I don't do anything apart from what God tells me to do. So if he would have done it, it would have been sin. And the Bible says this, but Jesus told him, no, the scripture says people do not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So Jesus overcomes the sin or the temptation by knowing what God's word said, and then he obeyed it. 
Then the devil took Jesus to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, jump off, for the scripture says he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands so that you won't even hurt uh, your foot on a stone. So here we have the devil misusing the scriptures, and I'm gonna talk more about that in just a moment. He's misusing the scriptures to try to get Jesus to sin. And Jesus responds, scripture also says you must not test the Lord your God. So once again, here we have Jesus overcoming sin by knowing what the word said and then obeying it. I want you to notice that Jesus had a very high view of the Old Testament scriptures, didn't he? He had such a high view of them, he's quoting them and he's obeying them. Now you get to the last temptation. Next, the devil took Jesus to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. I'll give it all to you, he said, if you'll simply kneel down and worship me. So once again, here we have the devil and he's trying to get Jesus to sin. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him, for the scripture says you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. So once again, Jesus overcame the temptation, he overcame the sin by knowing what God's word said and then obeying it. And I want you to follow this just for a second. Obviously, um, Jesus knew that this was gonna be recorded. This is a very important moment um, in history. It's a very important moment for us that we would have this piece of the word of God. That God, the Holy Spirit, would fill Matthew and that this would be recorded for us, that we would know how Jesus overcame sin. If the devil would have came to Jesus and said, um, hey Jesus, here's the deal, I want you to take these stones and turn them into bread. If Jesus would have said, you know what, Satan, bam! And lightning bolts would have came out of his eyeballs and he just blown Satan up. We'd have gone, whoa! Now that's cool. <laughs> but the bummer is we wouldn't be able to do that, would we? If Jesus would have, um, you know, when he was being tempted, would have changed his, I don't know, his, his hands into bazookas, boom, and blew Satan up, we'd have gone, oh, dude, that is so cool, man. He transformed his hands, man, into bazookas. He blew up the devil. We'd all go, super cool, but we'd all go, I, I can't do that. You see, what Jesus did right here is he said, hey, listen, you can know the scriptures and you can obey them too. Through the power of my Holy Spirit within you. Here's how you can do this the way I did it. There used to be a big movement. We always used to wear bracelets and things. What would Jesus do? Jesus just showed us what to do when we're being tempted. Have a high view of Scripture. Know what the Scripture says. And be committed to doing it. And if you know what the scripture says and you do it, it's a win. It's a win. You'll be more like 
Jesus when you do what the scriptures say. So the question is, do you know what the scriptures say? Do, do, do you know what the will of God is concerning different areas of life? When Satan comes and, and tempts you, you know, uh, like, like he did Jesus, do, do you know what's written? When you're tempted to lie, sin, do you know what the scriptures say? Exodus chapter 20 says you must not tell lies about your neighbor. That, that's number nine. Do, do, do you know that? God doesn't want you to lie. When you're tempted to get drunk, sin. Do, 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 do you know what the scriptures say? God's word says don't be drunk with wine. That, that'll just ruin you, but be filled with my spirit. When you're tempted to use foul language, sin, do you know what the word of God says? The Bible says don't use foul or abusive language. When you're tempted to steal, sin, do you know what the scripture says? You must not steal, that's number eight. When you're tempted to take that pack of pencils home from the work site, they don't belong to you. I don't care whether they, they got a, 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 you know, a whole storeroom full of them. They don't belong to you. Or the yellow pads or whatever it is you're about ready to take. Do, do you know what the scriptures say? When you're tempted to say something crummy to your parents, sin. Do you know what the word of God says? If you were listening to the quiz, you know. Honor your father and your mother. Honor them. It, it doesn't say you have to agree with them. It doesn't say you have to do everything they tell you to do. But it does say you're to honor your parents. Even when you're 35 and they're 60, you still honor them. When Jesus was tempted to sin, sin, he simply quoted scripture. There's something powerful about actually knowing the word of God and living it out. And I believe that when you commit yourself to, to know the word of God, which is the will of God, and you commit yourself to actually do what the word of God says, the greater the odds that you'll experience victory over sin, which obviously means that you'll be more like Jesus, right? The writer of Hebrews said, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity. I know that there's a lot of, of you in here and the only thing that you can really understand are the elementary teachings of the scriptures. I get it. You've only known the Lord a week, a month, a year, whatever it might be. But, but, but God wants you to move from that. He wants you to move on to maturity. He wants you to have a deep understanding of the word of God and that only comes through reading and studying and memorizing and meditating on, on the word. Probably the, the, the number one question I'm asked and certainly in the top three things I'm asked is, Rick, what is God's will for my life? That's it right there. That's God's will for your life. That you would move on and mature in your relationship with the Lord, that you have a greater love for Jesus, that you know the scriptures at a deeper level. That's God's will right there. That, that's it. Now I know some of you, man, I just, I just need to know what God's will is. Do I buy a Chevy or a Ford, you know? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know and I don't care. I really don't. I, I don't care. 
Chevy, heads. We get so tied up and all wound up over weird things. Trying to figure out God's will about this and God's will about that. Well, how about just take that one home? Put, put that one in your little memory verse packets and go, it's God's will that I do that. And let me tell you something. You're moving on to maturity, pick a car. Pick one. God is way more interested in your maturity that you become more and more like his son. And I suppose an argument could be made that Jesus would drive a Chevy over a Ford. I get it. But <laughs> now let me give you a quick warning. I'm going to wrap this up, okay? And my point of this is I, I, I kind of want to scare you a little bit. Because I think if I scare you a little bit, it's gonna move you towards being a greater scholar of the word of God, or, or at least having a higher view of scripture to the point that you would say, man, I need to get into this thing. Um, there was a guy by the name of Judas Iscariot. Judas is one of Jesus' original disciples, and there came a moment when he uh, took a bribe, if you will, he took 30 shekels of silver, and uh, he was going to betray Jesus. He meets up with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He gives Jesus a kiss, and all the Roman soldiers knew that that was Jesus, and Jesus was arrested. Judas betrays Jesus for 30 shekels of silver. There came a moment when Judas was overwhelmed with guilt over what he had done, and it says this in Matthew chapter 27. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went out. He went away and he hanged himself. He went away and he hanged himself. That's what the scripture says. The scripture says, then he went away and he hanged himself. That's what the scripture says. Now I'm gonna do something that ought to frighten you right now. The scripture says that, that Judas went away and he hung himself, okay? That's what the scripture says. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 10, go and do likewise. It's the word of God. <laughs> See what I just did? I just took a piece of scripture from one place, pulled it out, put it on a jumbotron. I took another scripture, pulled it out of context, and I now put it on a jumbotron. And it looks like I've just basically told everybody to go hang themselves. You see how I misused the scriptures right there? It's the word of God. Beloved, I want you to know something. I can make this book say just about anything I want it to say. I can. It's kind of frightening too. That's why James says, don't let many of you become teachers of the word because you will incur a stricter judgment there's gonna be a way stricter judgment on my life because God raised me up to be somebody who unfolds the word. And I could very easily deceive you just like Satan was trying to do Jesus in the second temptation. He was misusing scripture. And every now and then, you know, I turn on my television sets, uh, set and I'll watch, you know, some of these channels that have these religious leaders on them. I say religious leaders because they're certainly not Christians. 
They got a Bible like this one, but they're not Christians. They are people that are taking the word of God and just done some really crummy things with it to promote something that just isn't biblical. Yes, it's the word of God, just like I just showed you the word of God, but obviously God doesn't want anybody to go out and hang themselves. God doesn't want anybody to do that, but I made it seem like, well, that's what the word of God says. And so I want you to understand you need to know the word of God. You need to read it, study it, memorize it, meditate on it so that nobody would be able to trick you or deceive you into believing something that isn't accurate. You see that? In fact, in fact, let me just tell you something. It was kind of my, my goal that this illustration would drive us all to become like the Bereans that we find in Acts chapter 17. Listen to what the Bible says about this group of people. And the people of Berea were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica, and they listened eagerly to Paul's message. I've been to a lot of places where the people were like those in Thessalonica. They just weren't open-minded to the things of Christ. They weren't open-minded to the to biblical message. And I can see, sometimes I can, in here, I can look out and see people, and maybe they're visiting or whatever, and I can go, you know what, that, that person just has no interest in this. Probably because they're not saved, and the Holy Spirit isn't in their life to illuminate the truth, and they're just here, and they're just not open, they're just, they're just closed-minded to the thing. Now, they're polite and kind, and they don't, you know, cause a stink or anything. But here you had, you know, the, these people in Thessalonica, they, they weren't, but the Brians were. Man, they were there. They wanted to hear the, the word of God. They searched the scriptures, the Bible says, day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the, the truth. And the thought there isn't that, you know what, we're, we're, we're gonna see, we can trip you up. I know you've said something. And so they're, they're there making sure that Paul and Silas are, you know, not goofing anything up. That, that's not the attitude that these Bereans had. They believed what Paul was saying was true. They believed what Silas was saying was true, but they were just people who loved to get into the word. And so after the preaching would be done, they liked to go home, and that week they'd look at the word, they'd study the word. They'd just, you know, hey, we just wanna make sure. We don't wanna be deceived. We don't want someone to lead us down a road that isn't, that isn't right. And one of the things that's really sad to me is I see so many believers in these churches and they've just been deceived. And they'll throw out a Bible verse here and say, well, the Bible says this. Well, whoa, 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 whoa. Look, we gotta take that verse and slide it back into its context and let's look at really what God was trying to say there. What was the point of what God was saying in that culture? And then, then we gotta look and say, okay, well, now what does it mean to us in the, here in the 21st century? Everybody over in the venue stand, all of you just stand real quick, and, and, and I want to end this way. I just want you to close your eyes. I, I don't want you to pray or, or anything. I just want you to close your eyes, and I, I just want to say something to you with your eyes closed, okay? I don't want you worrying about who's next to you. The, the, the whole point of last week's message and this week's message was this. I just want to encourage all of us to be people who read the word, who study the word, who memorize the word, 
who meditate on the word. I want Big Valley Grace to be a place where we have a high view of the word of God. And my goal over the last two weeks was just to somehow encourage all of us to walk out of here and go, wow, man, I've got God's word. Lord, help me be a, a, somebody who, who treasures it more than food. I want to be somebody who devours this book. I want to wear myself out, as King David said, just, just getting into this book. And somehow over the last couple of weeks, I've just prayed that these first two opening messages of this series would really lay a great foundation for us as a church family. That we really would love the word and have a great desire to obey it. Father, thank you, Lord, for the time that we've had to be together here. Lord, may your Holy Spirit be at work in all of our lives this week, those of us that name your name. And may we find ourselves enjoying time each day just reading your word, whether it's for just a few moments or a longer period of time. May we enjoy your word this week. And I pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and all of God's people said, amen. Hey, Lord bless you.